You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, for a Prime Minister that once said that nothing has changed, this week it feels like everything has. Since the Prime Minister uh, showed her hand and unveiled her plan for Brexit at the now notorious Chequers Summit, she's bounced from one crisis to the next. In the polls, Labour has taken the lead, having been as many as five points behind a month ago. And in Parliament, Theresa May and her government seem to bounce from one precarious vote to the next. On this week's show, we're going to be looking at the numbers and what they tell us about public opinion on the Prime Minister's plan for Brexit and what that might mean for the future in terms of her future and also um, the future negotiating position of Britain when it comes to leaving the European Union. And we're also going to be looking at the uh, inner workings of Parliament and what's going on um, in the chamber in the House of Commons and what that might mean for the future of both of those things too. So to get my expert sort of opinion on that, I've, I've been joined today by James Crouch of Opinion to look at the numbers and Asa Bennett of The Telegraph to look at what's going on in Westminster. So let's get on with it, shall we? So the first part of this podcast will be a short conversation between myself and James Crouch of Opinion where he takes us through some of the, that firm's latest numbers and what they mean for the Prime Minister and her plan for Brexit. So I'm here with James Crouch from Opinion. James, welcome to Polling Matters. Hi, Kieran. Good to be here. So I said in the introduction that, you know, it feels like everything has changed when the Prime Minister once said that nothing had. What are you seeing in the numbers? Uh, the main thing that we've found from our latest poll is that we've seen the lowest Tory share since August 2016, so pretty much since Theresa May came into office um, at 36%. Uh, and the other big news is actually UKIP is basically back to its highest level since the general election. So not quite back in the mid-teens, which it was before, but those are the really big shifts. And it all seems to have happened really in the past few weeks, and it's something we've seen basically since the Chequers deal and has been a reaction to all the fallout from it. So what numbers do you actually have for the main parties at the moment then? Because there's lots of numbers bouncing around, isn't there? So what have you got Labour and the Conservatives on and, and UKIP? So uh, we have the Tories on 36, down from 42 beforehand, and Labour's been level pegging. So the, the kind of situation we've seen pretty much since the beginning of the year is that you have Labour on around 40 points and the Tories kind of somewhere a little bit above that depending on what month you're in and the only real difference we've seen is a chunk of that Tory vote drop away and go back to UKIP um, and if we actually kind of do a bit of analysis of that we see that it is all wrapped up in that kind of that basically Brexit betrayal issue, quote-unquote, if you want to go down that route. Sure, so that, that's interesting because I suppose when you look at these numbers and one party goes up a certain amount, one party goes down a certain amount, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that, well, one's gone to the other. But this does seem like an occasion where it is literally a transfer of Conservative votes to UKIP. I mean, in looking at your analysis, do you think that stacks up then? Yes, I do. So what, one thing that we tried to do was we tried to actually basically compare from the same participants, the kind of answers that they gave us early on in the year, see actually if there's been a change, if there's been a movement amongst these groups of people. And we see that those who have switched sides from conservatives are either partially, they're either doing a bit of don't know, they're saying, well, I have no options now, or they actually are moving over to UKIP. And that is wrapped up in where they were previously, previously they were either lukewarm or approving of the way the Tories were handling Brexit 
this month they disapprove. So this, this group of people have changed their opinion. They've changed their opinion of May. They are now less trusting of the Conservative Party on Brexit, and they are all leavers. So it's, it's, it's pretty clear, however deep you go into the data, that it is that kind of the headline switch is what you expect it to be. So the obvious, the obvious conclusion from this is that there's, there's a sizable chunk of um, people that voted Conservative in 2017 that aren't happy with Chequers and the Brexit deal. I wonder what, what is public opinion generally, though, on, on her proposed, it's not really a deal, is it, but it, her proposed mm-hmm. negotiating position? Um, so the, the deal is, once again, like almost everything you kind of ask about a detailed policy problem relating to Brexit, is it's pretty 50-50, or in this case, 30-30-30, or <laughs> approve, disapprove, and I don't know, um, somewhere along the line. Um, what, what you do find is, unsurprisingly, Remain is probably broadly pro, so Remainers are 39 approve, 22 disapprove, um, and Leavers are pretty anti. Um, so only 27% of them are pro, and 45% of them are opposed to her deal. Uh, the real damage for Theresa May is where you get basically her Tory leavers are entirely split on that. So they don't know whether or not to take the lead from their conservative leader or take the lead from the way they voted in the referendum and how they might you know, instinctively react to the deal and the headlines that they get. And it's that 37% of Tory leavers that disapprove with basically what their leader is saying, um, where she's, she, she's kind of, she's lacking. What we've what we've found in some of our kind of our background analysis um, over the past few months is that the, the Tories have become so aligned with Brexit, especially amongst Remainers, that they will carry on voting Labour, as in they are the main alternative to the Conservative Party. So not necessarily pro-Labour, but they just are opposed to the Conservative Party and what it's currently standing for. However, the Tory Party is linked to Brexit as long as it is genuinely linked to Brexit for leavers. So there's a chunk of them that will stop supporting the party if they get a hint that the Tory party isn't going to bring about what they thought it would. So Mm. that's the real danger for Conservatives, is that they're not going to pick up that many votes from abandoning a clearish Brexit, however you want to define that. Um, But they will lose votes if you get huge amounts of headlines in the papers day after day saying that the Tory party isn't going to go ahead with Brexit or isn't going to do a real Brexit or has gone very soft on Brexit. It does real damage to a chunk of people who would vote Tory if they basically carry out Brexit the way they yeah. imagined it would be carried out. So there's clear, there's, there's a very obvious and clear problem electorally for the Conservatives then if, um, if they pursue checkers, if you want to call it that. Um, I wonder, I mean, you might not have numbers on this, so it'd be good just to get your opinion as a pollster. Um, there is potentially another downside, though, if they do go sort of full fat Brexit, if you like. Is there a risk that there's a sort of left flank or a remain flank of the Conservative Party that they could they could lose in that scenario? So I guess what I'm saying is that the people in the ERG or on the right of the Conservative Party that want a clean break will use the numbers you're presenting as evidence mm-hmm. that actually we should do that because we're losing votes. Is there a risk that they lose votes if they go that way in, in another way? So the Subris and those sorts of people, the people that they represent, end up not supporting the Conservatives that way around? Or do you think that they're actually, so the Conservative Remainers, to court, give them a shorthand, would probably still be loyal to the party even in a clean break Brexit? Uh, to some extent, that has already 
been built into the numbers. So Remainers who are completely horrified at the situation have already moved to Labour, and that's probably a little bit what we saw in the general election. Part of, from from my reading of some of the numbers and from what we saw in, in kind of previous elections, there's probably a, a two-pronged issue here with this, at least what they're dealing with at the moment, because from from what we've seen, so previously, Remainers were pretty displeased with what Theresa May was doing, and now Leavers are just equally displeased. There's no kind of bounce for uh, the Conservatives amongst Remain. And part of that appears to be the, how chaotic and divided. Uh, so there's, the I think, for quite a lot of Remainers, the Remainers who are still open to the Tory party, the issue is more competence. Mm. And is it going to be done sensibly? Is it going to be done in an organised thoughtful way for levers it's is it going to get done the way i want it to be done uh so if conservative party carries on the way it is does damage on both sides if it Mm -hmm. can't if it can't be united uh it's it's kind of damage it damages the remainder cause either way so if they go ahead with a soft brexit but they're fighting left right and center it doesn't give them that bonus that they need and what we've what we did find is that there's on the other hand, there's a kind of a genuine perception change of what the Tory party stands for on Brexit, but not the way the Conservative Party would hope it to be. So we've been asking for a few months about if you basically asking about the three major parties and saying, well, what do you think that party's preference would be for you know what Brexit would look like? And it's only on the single market issue, but it's one indicator. And previously, both Leavers and Remainers said that they thought the Conservative Party was pro-ending free, free movement, leaving the single market, a kind of more clearish Brexit. And now, this month, for the first time, amongst Leavers, there's been a complete reversal. So Leavers now believe that the Tory party is really pro a soft Brexit, where we remain in the single market and don't really get rid of free movement and don't really change very much. Remainers still think the Tory party is pro-free movement. So you have this terrible situation now where the Tory party is almost all, all the key groups kind of believe the Tory party isn't standing for what they want it to stand for. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the really unfortunate situation they found themselves in with the way it's been probably partially with the way it's been portrayed in the media, but it hasn't been very clear from Theresa May what she wants. And would you expect to see, I, mean, I want to come on to this idea of a no deal um, in closing, but before we do, do you see there being like further to fall for the Conservatives then? I mean, they, they've obviously lost this vote share to a hypothetical UKIP, which, to be fair, isn't, ru- isn't really up and running that much at the moment. So is, is there further for the Tories to fall? Probably, yes. Uh, there's, there's still I appreciate you can't be certain, of... but uh, is this an interesting, uh, it's an interesting debate? Only because you see that there has been a bunch of people move over to UKIP or say they're not definitely going to vote Conservative uh, at the moment because they now disapprove of the way it's being handled, etc. However, there are still people saying they'll vote Tory, but they are still exhibiting all these other indicators of now disapproving of the way it's being run, worried that it's, quote-unquote, not safe in their hands. And what that means is, do that group consider it for another week or two weeks or three weeks, however many it takes, until the headline suggests that they, were, they would be right to jump. Mm. I, I say right in, in that, do they then start to ask for a month 
change their mind and go over to UKIP. And as you say, we haven't really seen anything or anyone from UKIP actually in the news or in the media outside of um, outside of basically the hard, hard right of the Tory party. So if UKIP were to get back up and running, would that change things? Would UKIP go from 8% back to the, the mid-teens that it was before the general election? All, all question marks, but not inconceivable. I want to finish um, by talking about this idea of, of no deal. Um, it seems to be gathering momentum, at least among the commentariat, as a, a genuine possibility. And there's arguments about what that would look like in practice. But just on the principle of it, in terms of public opinion, you tested this statement that the Prime Minister used to make, didn't you, which was that no deal mm-hmm. is better than a bad deal. And what's what's public opinion on that? So, worrying, well, worryingly in the sense that not we're not totally sure that everyone understand the consequences of that when when we poll it um, but generally people are actually quite supportive of it so there's roughly around just under half of people vaguely to support the statement um, and only around a third of people oppose the statement what is we deliberately left it open in the way that we asked the question we didn't really provide you know what what do you think this means we uh, while then asking them if they approve or disapprove of it. Because we just wanted to see what is the initial reaction, because Theresa May doesn't really offer much context when she says it either. Mm. Um, and generally it's supportive. Even, even Remainers, to some extent, are actually quite happy with that idea. Chances are it just sounds it's kind of supportive of fighting talk. And I'm not sure a lot of people really understand what that would mean in practice and what that means after March 2019. Well, that's one of the things we probably do want to start asking in a bit more detail is what do you imagine that means? There could be to an certain extent, certain extent, Remainers might think that that just means we can probably carry on in a transition period doing something a little bit like whatever we were doing before um, and Leavers will just be happy with it because it means they get their clean break. But it's it's odd in that it's doesn't ring that many alarm bells, but maybe it would do if it were to actually happen. Mm. Final question. I think, I mean, I'm not saying that you are, but if you were uh, someone that was sitting in number 10, looking at these numbers and, you know, how, how concerned do you think Team May should be when looking at opinions numbers over the weekend? I think they should be, they should be really concerned, mainly because they, they are losing quite a lot of control over the narrative of of basically what they want their, what should be their Brexit, let's not forget, to, to look like. Um, maybe I'm also partially coloured by reading newspapers day in day and the Tory party actually fighting with itself and wrestling with itself to decide who actually gets to control it. Uh, but the answer is it's, it's not being controlled by number 10. And when they realise that they're losing control of their own perception, so how people see them means that they actually can't really... They, they, are going to really struggle to then turn around to the public in April 2019 or March 2019 and say that this is the Brexit that I wanted, this is the Brexit that we delivered for you, however it might be, it just looks like they're going to accidentally fall into it. And so from every single side, whether it be Remainer, Brexiteer, it, it, it doesn't look like something that they've bought into. For Leavers, it's obviously... Um, you never wanted this anyway, and even though we're here, uh, 
it's I, I'm it's nothing thanks to Theresa May. And then Remainers will say, well, we're here in this terrible situation, and it's thanks to Theresa May. So all in all, it's, it should be pretty depressing reading. And how, well, I shall leave it to a, I'll leave it to others to decide how on earth she, she gets back on top of that situation. But get back on top of it, she does need to do. James Crouch from Opinion, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That was James Crouch from Opinion there. A big thanks to James for joining me on this week's episode. Um, before we move on to the next sort of half of the show, there's a couple of points that I want to sort of pick up on that we sort of uh, went into on, in that conversation. And I think there's two that really stand out to me. The first is this idea of uh, have the Tories got further to drop in the polls? I mean, it feels that Theresa May is in a really difficult spot. And we're going to talk about Parliament in a moment with with Asa Bennett. But I think part of the problem um, that, that James alluded to is that there are a lot of people that are currently saying they will vote Conservative that actually um, haven't jumped ship yet, but share a lot of the characteristics um of people that have as in they're not happy with how the way brexit's going they don't think that may's deal represents um the true brexit and so on and so forth so unless the prime minister and the government get a grip quite soon about what's what's happening then it's easy to see how those numbers fall even further i suppose maybe recess coming up will sort of steady the ship and i'm sure that's what was behind the government's um slightly strange um decision to try and um, force recess earlier um but that's something the conservatives should be worried about you know they've got this electoral coalition and it's something that i and and it's fracturing a bit and it's something that i said um after the local elections that um even though labor had done historically badly i thought the political climate you know the context of the time meant that the tories shouldn't be too reassured by that because they had to negotiate brexit with no majority and no consensus on what that brexit should look like and i think I'm not saying that this is an inevitable Labour win at a future general election because we don't know when that will be. We don't know the specific context of the time and who the leader is and so on and so on and so on. But there is definitely something in the fact that, you know, the Tories are trying to navigate a very difficult situation with an electoral co- coalition that it's it's not clear that they can hold together once they have to actually start making decisions. So certainly something to watch out for in future polling. Will the Tories drop further? And you'd imagine if they do, that's only going to put more pressure uh, on Theresa May um, and, and her, you know confidence in her leadership uh, among um, Conservatives. I think the, the second point that really struck me, and we're going to come on to that a bit in a moment with Asa, is this idea of no deal. Um, you know, for, for whatever reason, for good or bad, and perhaps because the Prime Minister has literally said no deal is better than a bad deal, there's an awful lot of people that tend to tend to agree with that. And, um, you know, I'm sure that people will have different views um, on the merits of that argument. I don't really intend to discuss that today. But I think what is important is if public opinion, and particularly Conservative opinion, does think no deal is a plausible scenario that may even be desirable... Um, particularly when put in, you know, in contrast with um, May's sort of checkers idea of a deal, then it surely makes it more likely as a as a potential eventuality. As in, if the Conservatives between themselves have to decide between what May is offering and what, you know, and, and, and no deal in inverted commas, maybe they will choose the latter, and that has profound implications um, for where we go politically. I suppose the fear becomes that you know Parliament, in its current state might be unable to prevent no deal happening. I don't know. But what's clear is that there is a, a large chunk of conservative opinion and public opinion generally that isn't as scared of no deal as some people would like them to be. 
and that has political ramifications. Speaking of political ramifications, I wanted to um, do two things on this show, as I mentioned in the intro. One, look at the numbers, but two, look at the politics. And I um, reached out to a friend of the show, Asa Bennett of The Telegraph, who has been on the show a few times uh, before, not for a little while. Uh, And I wanted to understand a bit about what's been going on in Parliament this week and how the sort of shifting tectonic plates of public opinion might feed into the debate within the Conservative Party about Theresa May's leadership and their Brexit policy. So I spoke to um, Asa earlier this week in, in Westminster to get his view on that. And here is that conversation. So I'm here with Asa Bennett from the Daily Telegraph. Asa, welcome back to Polling Matters. Great to be here. So we've just been listening to Boris Johnson's resignation speech. I found it a bit underwhelming, but I d- I'm wondering what you thought. Well, I actually thought it was uh, you know, Boris being very punchy, and he was right in so many ways about the Chequers plan when he said it was a miserable, permanent limbo that it was offering, an economic vassalage. And, uh, you know, this is obviously many, much of this is not a surprise, though, from the former Foreign Secretary, given that is what basically he said in his uh, resignation letter. You know, so when he said in his letter, the dream of Brexit's dying, and now he's built on that and said, the fog of self doubts descended, we dithered, we burned for our negotiating capital. Um, and, you know, in his view, he was saying that the problem was, you know, that Mansion House, let's say, or Lancaster House were all excellent Brexit speeches, but Theresa May kind of abandoned them. She moved on too quickly. Downing Street would argue that the reason they didn't actually pitch that hard enough was because they thought the EU wasn't interested, and therefore they had to change tack in order to be interested. Um, but Boris clearly disagrees. Of course, tactically, um, it's fascinating because, of course, I think you, might, you may have been assuming, given he was seen earlier in the day sitting in a seat or around there where Geoffrey Howe once sat when they were sort of when he was filleting Margaret Thatcher back in the day. Um, you may have thought expected him to do a dramatic leadership coup to announce uh, time for a change in that way. But instead he's sticking to the Brexit line. Instead the thing that needs to change is not the leader but the Brexit policy. But does that seem very likely? Because to me it seems like Theresa May, for good or bad, has set out her stall. Um, she's kind of wedded to it at least in part. So where does mm. where does Boris Johnson and the like go from here? Well, that's a fascinating question. And um, obviously, we, we are definitely in uncharted territory. So, you know, sort of all sorts of twists and turns can surprise us. But uh, we know two things. One, Theresa May has made clear, you know, over the last few days and weeks, yeah, how adamant and how, you know, she wants to stick to that policy she's agreed at Chequers, and she wants to make it work to the best of her abilities. And that's why, You know, she says very proudly how, you know, the customs union red line has been kept and things like this, sorry for the jargon, facilitated customs arrangement. It's it's basically a customs union just with some bells and whistles and, you know, tariff frippery decorated around it. Um, uh, But again, that still means she could look voters in the eye, you know, earnestly and say, I've kept faith with you. I've delivered, you know, I've not broken these red lines. And yeah, she's sticking to her guns. The thing is, it's funny because then Boris was talking about how, you know, oh, the government allowed Northern Irish issue to be so politically charged. And I suspect that Theresa May, when she should be visiting Belfast later this week, mm. and that will naturally be a reason where she'll argue, most likely, that the reason why she's having to approach such a soft Brexit of alignment on regulation, goods and all that is in order to prevent a hard border um, and to mitigate that. So she'll... I mean, there's not much she can really change, to be honest. This is what's difficult. And so I can't help thinking that maybe what Brexiteers are doing is they're effectively trying to... Uh, well, they, they know that it's popular when they criticise. They, they command a mainstream of you know, Conservative membership, 
and they, they are listened to and naturally because they are the torchbearers for Brexit. So if they are not pleased with how Theresa May is doing, she really will need to find some way to at least try and talk up and sell her policies with greater vigour to really try and nuance it, to just be more ambitious, not let herself get battered down by Brussels into having to aim so low. Mm. So what do you make, I mean, as we sort of, I mean, the week is still young-ish, um, but what do you make mm. of the, the week she's had and her position at the moment? Because this, this last couple of days feels like almost a metaphor for her entire leadership, or at least her leadership since the general election, where you think, oh, a gust of wind's going to blow her over and she's, she's finished, mm. but she seems to manage to, to sort of weave her way through things. And I guess the parliamentary votes this week suggest that. I mean, wh- where do you see her position? They were, they were real nail-biters, you'd think. Mm. And uh, I have to say, you, know, you have to take a hat off to Theresa May's endurance, because every time it's a sort of cliche in pundit circles now to say, oh, this is the worst week, and could she resign this week? And, you know, who knows? I mean, in that sense, you know, for all we know, by the time uh, this episode's out, she may have <laughs> <sort of> been <laughs> full no-confidence yeah, yeah. motion. News can move quite fast. But the thing is, she has shown that capacity of endurance, like sort of Theresa May, the Terminator 2, you almost, you know, crawling out of the wreckage, the flames, still trudging on in that sense, you know, surviving. And people are compared to zombies, but we must remember zombies are naturally, they endure, they laugh, they go the distance. (laughs) Of course, they don't show much joy, naturally. And it's the thing, when you have to preside over negotiations on Brexit, you kind of want to have a leader who seems to be optimistic and feeling positive about things. Mm. And so, actually, it's it's been funny thinking about the votes again. Um, You know, there were one or two where we thought that the Remainers would really bind Theresa May and shove her into a corner on like the customs union with this uh what was it the amendment Nicky Morgan and people were putting through mm. that said oh if you know you don't get a customs arrangement in place by January you have to accept a customs union and you know the whips are arguing that would basically take down a key plank of our strategy she got through that and so this is why Remain is now running around saying oh Jacob Rees-Mogg is the real prime minister oh he's running everything he's running the country and the trouble is I suspect they you know Brexiteers may well feel giddy on hearing this, but they're going to be reminded over the coming days that it's Theresa May. It's Theresa May running the country and the Brexit policy until you know they move or decide otherwise. seems to me there's two conflicting things going on. And Earlier on in the show, we were, I was talking to um, James Crouch of Opinion, and we were, we were looking at the numbers, and it seems very clear that the Conservatives have lost ground in the polls directly to UKIP as a result of checkers, and we were debating whether that could go even further. So there's clearly... Um, from the ERG and the Jacob Rees-Mogg's point of view, there's clearly electoral consequences, not only ideological reasons, uh, for them mm. to uh, ask the Prime Minister to change course. But at the same time, it looks like the, the mechanics of getting rid of her, having votes of no confidence and so on, in the, in, in, among Conservative MPs, still seems quite difficult for them to, to achieve, doesn't it? So aren't they in this weird limbo where they're trying to edge her towards a certain course of action, but they know they can't really force her out? Yeah, it's it's quite um, a fascinating state of affairs because I, I suspect on the polling, well, what it is clearly is that if you have you know Tory party members, senior, well-known figures, known to voters, saying we're betraying Britain, we're betraying Leave voters, this is awful, we're selling out the country, you know, Shakara, no wonder Labour's pulling it to the lead, no wonder you know the Tory popularity is cratering. I mean, I thought the real, you know, Boris's resignation very significant in its own right. I think David Davis's one was particularly unique in its own way because when you have effectively Theresa May, you know, Brexit means Brexit, winning faith of UK voters, they all come through, they believe her, they want to give her that chance, which we've seen come through in local elections and all sorts. Suddenly, I mean, the man who's tasked, at least, with making Brexit Brexit, 
and you know, having been recognized as a Brexit campaigner, suddenly saying it will return illusory control. And you know, they're just saying that the whole thing is effectively bogus and weak and all the rest. Again, no wonder their, their faith is shaken and they are troubled by this. Um, but isn't, so the, isn't the truth that Conservative MPs can't really get rid of her? Or is that just, I mean, I'm looking at the, that, the rules as I understand difficult. them. Yes, you're quite difficult. right. You're quite right. In that the numbers, they could very easily, and just, you know, from my understanding, you know, just a couple more letters, and then they would be very much in the no confidence vote holding territory. And yes, we know the number is, you know, 48 for doing that. But in order to ensure, let's say, that Jacob Rees Mogg or whoever is prime minister as a result, you know, you'd require about 130. You'd require you know, a majority like that. And obviously, the ERG just. So the European Research Group, Jacob Rees-Mogg's uh, lot, you know, they have about scores of members, but not uh, not in the hundreds. And so mm. they can't uh, crown whoever they like. They'd have to reach out across the party. And then there's endless complications on top. Well, for example, uh, the, you know, Theresa May, one of the big problems they people say about her leadership is that she was rushed into power, that it was, you know, not having the time to scrutinize her, to have hustings, to have debates. And so the party would almost feel duty-bound to hold debates. A proper process, not just crown someone, you know, from either side, either faction. Make sure the membership can really chew it over. And that's all going to take time. And this is why, I've, uh, you know, it's easy to say the only way that can really happen during the Brexit process, if it's meant to come to any sense of closure, is almost you know, suspending negotiations, delaying Article 55 for a couple of months. And so that is why, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg and all the rest are targeting the Brexit policy, hoping they can have Theresa May do her bidding just to, you know, carry on long because and the you know, trouble is as I was saying before you know she's clearly not going to it's the highest game of chicken possible um, and at some point you know Brexiteers have to decide you know what how much can they really get from her so do you think there's a there's a conservative party before March 2019 and, and one afterwards and by which I mean there's not really a lot they can do between now and then but then once Brexit in whatever form is quote-unquote delivered next March, mm. then things might change? Or do you think Theresa May could be there longer than even now? Well, it's fascinating. Because obviously, Jacob Rees-Mogg for the moment still says, oh, we you know, if, he, if she delivers Brexit, then she'll be, you know, a hero like a modern-day Boudicca and all the rest, hmm. you know, carried on the shoulders of jubilant Tory party members. And yet, actually, it was an interesting point Boris raised this afternoon in suggesting that, you know, the, those who fear and think that they could just get a sort of substandard treaty through and then improve it. You know, he said, oh, you know, we, we cannot afford to make a botched treaty now and then reset the bone later. And, and you know, the temporary often becomes permanent. And that's the thing, you know, m many people can get hung up on the precise differences about customs arrangements. And mm. yet, obviously, what if you get settled into a position, let's say EEA or EFTA or what have you, or the customs partnership, you know, they'll, they'll just go for what works. They'll, they'll, Boris and Brexiters like them would fear that the momentum would be lost for improving on that. And so that's why they have to get this right from day one. Mm. Do you think she lasts much longer after next March? I mean, do you think is, is her intention to stay for the foreseeable? I think it's that Theresa May feels it's a duty to deliver Brexit in a sense. And once she's, because every time she's having to withdraw in just so much. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if at least, you know, the Tory conference would be fascinating. It would be the biggest beauty parade you've ever seen in mm. modern history uh, as, you know, Tory party members and all that will try and line up and pick who they want. Uh, you know, over the coming months, that, that will really make clear whether she has to issue some date or whether she'll just have to indicate that she is there 
you know, almost duty bound just to be, do the negotiations afterwards because she has no time. She's got no bandwidth to develop mayism now. You know, she is basically being a functionary and her job is to deliver Brexit. Mm, big speech coming up. I mean, the final couple of points. I mean, you talked about the Tory party conference. I mean, we've mentioned Jacob Rees-Mogg a few times. I mean, do you think he's do you think he's genuinely got leadership ambitions? I mean, one of the things about MPs, we, we always say, don't we, that they all quite fancy themselves as prime minister, but some try and make it happen, whereas others are more kingmaker-y. I mean, do you think, A, Jacob Rees-Mogg has those sorts of ambitions, in your opinion? And B, um, regardless, I mean, who, who do you think we should be watching for the future for uh, the Tory leadership? I think... It's basically, as we know, yeah, every politician has ambitions. Uh, if the vacancy came open and the <laughs> chance came upon and thrust upon them. Um, but Jacob the ball be from behind the scrum. Yeah. Very wily, yes. And uh, he knows that perhaps he's stuck his head too much above the parapet and he has to reach out across the party. So his position is not to stick himself to the fray, get rejected, risk getting rejected. Instead, he gives the ultimate Brexiteer stamp of approval, in a mm. sense. And so that's where... I personally would think that um, you know you're looking at those who sort of uh, straddle both camps in terms of Brexit and Leave in a way. Who you know watch those who are being very quiet so far. You know like um, you know Penny Morden, James Cleverly, the sort of sharp, the sharp people who you know may lean towards Brexit. They may be identifiable, but then they're not being too sort of loud, burning bridges with either side in a sense, because you want to have that relatability to both mm-hmm. sides of the party to understand in a sense and um, you know obviously some people like Michael Gove they, you know, they for example, he's for example knocked off many Brexiteers for seeming to despite tearing up the checkers the, the compromise plan ostentatiously in front of number 10 officials suddenly signing up to it all mm. belts and braces so um, you know there are people on the other side who worry Brexiteers in turn so um, yeah definitely for quiet people as it were to paraphrase Ian Duncan Smith and a final question do you think it's essentially essentially essential that whoever it is is going to have to be a brexiteer they're going to have to have voted leave almost certainly yeah mm. it's it's that they would have to um or it's that sort of damascene conversion that jeremy hunt and liz truss have had where they now say they embrace brexit and you know all like ben bradley that's been, that was a surprise how intru- how excited they are about it yeah they definitely have to let's put it this way they definitely have to muster up more enthusiasm for brexit than theresa may does asa bennett always a pleasure speaking to you thank you for your time great to talk That was Asa Bennett there from The Telegraph. Big thanks as ever to Asa for taking time out of what is a very busy parliamentary schedule um, to talk to Polling Matters. Um, A few points I want to pick up up on there before we we close today. Um, One was on Boris Johnson. Um, We had very different perspectives on the speech, didn't we? Um, Maybe Asa's is uh, closer to uh, the sort of Telegraph Conservative Brexiteer circles. And that, that is interesting to me because... Maybe, um, you know, him setting his stall out in that way in that speech, uh, Boris Johnson, that is, not Asa, um, is the prelude to something more uh, significant and will be the sort of basis of a leadership uh, challenge of sorts or a leadership campaign in the future. For me, it just feels like with with Boris Johnson, there's a touch of the David Miliband about him um, from the other side, of course, where you get lots of big talk, you get lots of um, suggestions he's about to do something important, and then never quite happens. We get a sort of coded article in the Telegraph, or in David Miliband's example, The Guardian, and um, you know, lots of bluster, but no, no real beef. But maybe the beef is uh, beef is to come. But certainly, certainly an underwhelming speech from my perspective. But obviously, Asa uh, sees something different there. I think one thing that also struck me was the um, the reference to the Conservative Party conference. Boy, that's going to be a, a very, very uh, important um, 
uh, important sort of beauty parade, as Asa calls it, isn't it? You know, Theresa May really needs to nail that conference speech. I don't think we can get away with any coughing fits uh, this time. Um, not that that was her her fault. And the final thing that you know really struck me from what, what Asa was saying was about the the next leader. Whenever that comes, will need to be a true believer in Brexit and probably someone that voted leave, which is uh, a shame for me with my bet on uh, Sajid Javid as the next Tory leader. But um, it does feel like um, one of those uh, sort of hygiene factors, if you like, that the next Conservative leader is going to have to uh, clear. I can't imagine a Labour leader in the future ever winning the Labour leadership without saying that they are a socialist, for example, um, how times have changed. But I imagine with the with the Conservative Party, there's going to have to be some sort of um, Brexit barrier uh, to clear to be taken seriously but then you know I think Asa was completely spot on by saying look for the people that are being um, quiet at the moment there is that cliche um, in politics that says you know he, he who wields the knife doesn't wear the crown so maybe the Boris Johnsons and the uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg's even the Michael Gove's you know it, it, they won't be the, the the one that ends up in number 10 in the end it will be um, somebody else, but all eyes will be on um, Theresa May's uh, Theresa May's conference speech and her future. But I must admit, I was thinking about uh, Theresa May's future earlier today, and she it reminded me of a um, a Simpsons episode. Bear with me, um, where Mr. Burns goes to see the doctor. I just want to play you a short clip of that, and I'll explain to you afterwards why I think that's the case. Well, Doc, I think I did pretty well in my tests. You may shake my hand if you like. Well, under the circumstances, I'd rather not. Eh? Mr. Burns, I'm afraid you are the sickest man in the United States. You have everything. You mean I have pneumonia? Yes. Juvenile diabetes? Yes. Hysterical pregnancy? A, a little bit, yes. You also have several diseases that have just been discovered in you. I see. You're sure you just haven't made thousands of mistakes? Uh, no, no, I'm afraid not. Well, this sounds like bad news. Well, you'd think so, but all of your diseases are in perfect balance. If you have a moment, I can explain. Well, here's the door to your body, you see? And these are oversized novelty germs. Uh, that's influenza, that's bronchitis, and this cute little cuddlebug is pancreatic cancer. <laughs> here's what happens when they all try to get through the door at once. Move it, shout ahead. We call it Three Stooges Syndrome. So what you're saying is... I'm indestructible. Oh, no, no. In, in fact, even a slight breeze could... Indestructible. So I've always been looking for an excuse uh, to play The Simpsons on this podcast, but what do I mean by uh, comparing uh, uh, Theresa May to Mr. Burns? Well, it just seems to me that when you look at her, when you look at her leadership, um, she's always been forever, um, you know, almost at the point of demise. You know, this week might be... Her, her last, as, as Asa mentioned when we spoke earlier. But, you know, she always seems to make it through. And in that clip, you, you had Mr. Burns there, who's got every disease under the sun, and, you know, it is a comedy, but he's, he thinks he's indestructible. And, of course, the doctor there says, well, you're not actually indestructible. You could, uh, a gust of wind could, could kill you kind of thing. And it feels like a metaphor for Theresa May's, Theresa May's leadership at the moment. It feels like whatever gets thrown at her, she manages to find a way, whether it's luck or judgment, you know, other people can, can say... Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if events take control, she could go quite quickly. So we're going to have to um, keep an eye on that. But I suspect that the big thing she's got in her favour are those uh, Tory party rules that say that if she wins a vote of no confidence, a simple majority in Parliament, then she can't be challenged for a year. And I suspect when all is said and done, that's going to be um, the decisive uh, thing in her favour. But we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Um, events, dear boy, events, as the phrase one, once went. 
But that's all we've got time for this week's uh, on this week's politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Big thanks to James Crouch and Asa Bennett for joining me uh, today. And uh, if you like what you hear, please do share us on social media. Give us a positive rating on iTunes or, or, a, or a comment and get in touch and say what you want to hear on this show and maybe some suggestions for guests or topics. We'd love to hear from you. But for now, have a great day and thanks for listening.